0: Is the main event. Whatcha gonna do? If you're some man! Best there is, best there was, best there ever will be! Yeah. Yeah. yeah! I am the game, Costco said so. Oh my god! What I'd like to have right
1: now. Rest in peace, Water
0: be the man, you gotta beat the man! Are you Ready.
2: Everyone has a price. Yeah,
0: I come here to fight. And the innovation here. Let's go to our ring announcer.
2: Introducing your old school pro wrestling nostalgia podcast Beyond the Bell.
3: Yeah, you can be the greatest. You can be the best. You can be the King Kong, banging on your chest. You can beat the world. You can beat the war.
0: You Talk the guy, go banging on his door You can throw your hands up, you can
4: beat the clock yeah. You can move a mountain, you can break rocks You can be a master, don't wait for luck Dedicate yourself and you can find yourself We continue our celebration of the 2015 class of the WWE Hall of Fame tonight on Beyond the Bell, powered by the SNS Radio Network. I'm Sean Beckerman, and I'm proud to bring you this year's class. And tonight, two more inductees are relived and remembered on your old-school nostalgia podcast. Tatsumi Fujinami and the living legend Larry Zabisco are the highlighted inductees on our special edition tonight a japanese legend and a living legend are remembered tonight buckle up as we go international on this special edition we cover two historic careers and relive some of their infamous rivalries so let's get to it and kick it all off with the legend of new japan pro wrestling he competed in both junior heavyweight and heavyweight divisions it's time to relive the accomplished career of tatsumi fujinami
5: from tokyo japan tatsumi fujinami they call tatsumi fujinami the dragon and he is swift as a dragon i'll tell you some athlete he is one of the finest ever from japan
6: Nicknamed the Dragon, Tatsumi Fujinami exploded onto the scene in the early 1970s. He quickly transformed into an international superstar, gaining worldwide fame across the globe, including the United States, where he captured the WWE Junior Heavyweight Championship in
5: 1978.
3: Fujinami excitement
0: personified. I always wanted to be the great wrestler that Fujinami was. He's very famous in Japan, like Hulk Hogan. (laughs) Fujinami could wrestle
7: anybody. He could compete on any level.
6: Fujinami used his unique style to capture the International Wrestling Grand Prix Heavyweight Championship, the highest honor in Japan.
5: He is the IWGP, the International Wrestling Grand Prix Heavyweight Champion, one of the most popular athletes in the world.
6: A national hero, Fujinami was beloved in his native Japan, and on March 21st, 1991, in front of over 50,000 fans at the Tokyo Dome, he made history by defeating the Nature Boy, Rick Flair, to win the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. Fujinami has
3: won this match! This is a big moment for all of Japan.
6: Fujinami became the first man to ever hold both the IWGP and NWA championships simultaneously. Tatsumi Fujinami has battled the biggest stars in the world, including WWE Hall of Famers Ric Flair and Antonio Inoki. During his illustrious career, he held 11 titles. And is recognized as one of the greatest Japanese superstars in sports entertainment
1: history. WWE is proud to induct Tatsumi Fujinami into to say, Hall of going Class
6: of 2015.
4: A true legend in New Japan Pro Wrestling. Fujinami dominated both the junior heavyweight and heavyweight divisions during his long and accomplished career, one of the first true pupils of Antonio Inoki. Tatsumi followed his master all the way to Japan and during his career had an influence not only in the ring, but behind the scenes as well. During his 30-year career in New Japan, Fujinami not only helped revolutionize the sport in the ring, but also trained countless numbers of new wrestlers to help New Japan at one time become the most successful wrestling promotion in the entire world. At the early age of 17, Tatsumi Fujinami already knew that he wanted to be a professional wrestler. He had grown up watching Rikidozen battle the Americans, but the wrestler that Tatsumi would pattern himself after was the popular, the legend, the WWE Hall of Famer Antonio Inoki. In 1970, Tatsumi became the first disciple under Anoki, as Anoki trained him hard to help him grow into a wrestler that Rikidozan would be proud of. Before Tatsumi even got started however, Inoki had started New Japan, Fujinami naturally went with him to the new promotion and on the debut event of New Japan, Fujinami lost in the opening match to El Furioso. In such a modest way, one of the greatest wrestlers in New Japan history made his start. But it wouldn't take long for Fujinami to make a serious impact in the promotion. A junior heavyweight during the beginning of his career in the early 70s, he only slowly began working his way up the card. By 1974, he was already a notch higher than the other wrestlers his age. As in 1974, he defeated Masashi Ozawa, who would later become Killer Khan, to win the Karl Gotch Cup. His successes would continue from Japan and continue on from there, as in 1978, he won his first major championship, the WWF Junior Heavyweight Championship, the precursor to any light heavyweight or cruiserweight titles. At the time, New Japan did not have a junior heavyweight championship of its own, and wouldn't until 1986 after Fujinami was no longer a junior heavyweight. Thus, they wrestled for other junior heavyweight championships from around the world. Until he graduated to a heavyweight, Fujinami had held the WWF Junior Heavyweight Championship twice, and the NWA International junior heavyweight championship twice as he defended the titles around the world he even fought Chavo Guerrero for the WWF junior heavyweight championship in front of over 50,000 fans in Shea Stadium during a time that the junior heavyweight division was just gaining popularity Tatsumi was a trailblazer as he wrestled in America Mexico and Europe winning titles all along the way but in 1981 Fujinami had graduated from the junior heavyweight division to the heavyweight division, like I mentioned. He first found title success in Mexico, where he defeated the great El Kanek for the UWA Heavyweight Championship. He also won the WWF International Heavyweight Championship twice, including a victory over future rival Ricky Choshu. In Early In the early 80s, New Japan also didn't have a heavyweight championship and wouldn't until 1987, so Fujinami was forced to win championships owned by other companies which helped spread the word of New Japan Pro Wrestling. It's a, it, I think it's going to be a similar mentality as the Global Force Wrestling is kind of developing. Fujinami also won the WCWA Heavyweight Championship from Kerry Von Erich and the NWA Heavyweight Championship from the legendary Nature Boy Ric Flair, leaving his mark on the industry all across the globe. While wrestling all over the world... Fujinami was still having success in New Japan, as at the same time he participated in the MSG League from 1978 to 1982 with his best finish. Coming in third, as Fujinami slowly progressed as a singles wrestler, his success came much quicker as a tag team competitor. Teaming with his friend, Kengo Kimura, Fujinami was the first ever holder of the IWGP Heavyweight Tag Team Championship in 1985, defeating Anoki and Sakaguchi in the tournament final. With Kimura, he would hold the title four times, He also won it one other time with Nishimura. Also, they had many battles with the UWF during the interpromotional feud of the mid-80s. Outside of New Japan, Kimura and Fujinami also won the WWF International Tag Team Championship. As Fujinami was speaking, or peaking as a wrestler, I should say, in 1987, New Japan crowned the first IWGP heavyweight champion. Fujinami quickly, quickly asserted himself as a future challenger for the title and got his chance on May 8th, 1988 when he battled Big Van Vader. Against a much larger opponent, the Mastodon, Fujinami wrestled with speed and craftiness and defeated the big man by disqualification. He wouldn't hold the title long, however titles could change hands via DQ, as after a heated no contest with Riki Choshu, the title was held up, Fujinami would quickly get it back by defeating Riki, and this time he would hold the title for almost a year. Fujinami would hold the IWGP Heavyweight Championship a total of 6 times, the last time being in 1998, at the ripe age of 44, his six reigns is the most in New Japan history and is more than Shinya Hashimoto and Masahiro Chono combined. As Inoki's top student, Fujinami's influence on the promotion went beyond what fans saw him and saw from him inside the squared circle. As Inoki was too busy to focus on training, Fujinami became one of the head trainers in the New Japan Dojo. Tatsumi trained numerous wrestlers, one of which was future star Osami Nishimura. Fujinami's style of wrestling and training would later lead to the popularity of Muga, M-U-G-A. Fujinami and his first event was in 1995 and continues promoting the style to this very day. Closer to the catch style of wrestling, it focused on submissions and quick pins rather than high-risk moves. Nishimura is Fujinami's primary pupil of the dojo and the style has helped Nishimura have a long, successful career. As Fujinami's career winded down in 2000, he began to have a countdown to his retirement in a similar fashion that of his trainer Antonio Onoki had earlier. Kind of similar to the nature boy Ric Flair. Unfortunately, Due to limited interest and general downturn for the business, in 2001, Fujinami began wrestling full-time again. He finally retired in January of 2003 after a match against Nishimura and began focusing on his new role as President of New Japan, a duty that he had gotten in 1999. In 2005, Tatsumi made a surprising return to the ring and began an active career in New Japan once again. A pioneer in his own style, and once one of the most important trainers in New Japan history, all at the same time, Fujinami left a lasting imprint in New Japan, and he will always be remembered for his impressive accomplishments and his willingness to pass on his knowledge to others. Multiple-time champion, he played a huge impact in professional wrestling, a little bit in the WWF, junior heavyweight champion and such, but Tatsumi Fujinami, one of the absolute legends up there with Antonio Noki in New Japan Pro Wrestling and in sports entertainment as a whole, certainly deserving to enter the 2015 class of the WWE Hall of Fame. And when we return, Get ready, we cover the career of the living legend, Larry Zabisco. Don't go anywhere, we'll be right back. The Elite Force Podcast here on the SNS Radio Network brings you the news that is going on in the world of science fiction. The EFP covers the past and present of sci-fi in television, movies, music, and video gaming. You can catch two brand-new episodes each and every week. The Midweek, posted on Fridays, is hosted by Chuck W., and The weekend, posted on Sundays, is hosted by William Walkie Walker and Mindwipe. Download the latest shows now at SNS, radionetwork.com, and eliteforcepodcast.com. He is from
5: Pittsburgh. Pennsylvania, forbear bear of Larry Lynn, one of the most controversial athletes
3: uh, in the country. Larry Zabisco, the steel man from the Steel City, oh my,
0: it's Larry Zabisco, the living legend.
6: The journey of a legend begins with one giant step. And what better start for the illustrious career of Larry Zabisco than being mentored by one of the greatest champions of all time, Bruno Sammartino.
5: Perhaps the closest friend you have in professional wrestling will make reference to Larry Zabisco. He's just a phenomenal, phenomenal athlete,
2: and I'm very proud of him.
6: Voted the pro wrestling illustrated rookie of the year in 1974, Zabisco earned the trust of his teacher and was granted the opportunity to showcase his talents in a match against Sammartino.
5: against Bruno Sammartino.
6: But even Bruno himself never expected what would happen next.
5: Look out! Sammartino going to work on Sammartino! Striking Sammartino striking Martino. Can he
3: really let him have it? Oh, no! Well, I went in a ring with Martino, and when he tried to humiliate me, I didn't take it. And you know where it got me, all oh, you cowards? It got me right to the top!
6: Zabisco's actions made him one of the most reviled antagonists in all of wrestling. And his newfound aggression made him an imposing opponent in the ring. And soon a two-time AWA heavyweight champion. The new heavyweight champion of the world. a living legend
3: from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania.
6: After 30 years of antagonizing the public inside the ring.
3: Basically, Spudhead Anybody, anywhere in the world, in front of any crowd, Larry Zabisco will wrestle.
6: The living legend would win back the trust of fans by becoming WCW's signature voice during the Monday Night War.
3: If you're so tough, why don't you come to Larry Land, Bischoff?
6: And was one of the brave few who refused to back down from the renegade NWO.
3: I changed wrestling history. I'm going to change the new world order for life.
6: A stalwart both in and out of the ring. Larry Zabisco will forever be the living legend. And now, a WWE Hall of Famer.
3: It's not easy
8: being a legend, but <laughs> someone's got to do it.
4: Some of the younger fans may just remember Larry Zabisco as the arrogant, cocky WWE color commentator slash announcer at one time. Larry Z was on the verge of being the next big thing in professional wrestling. Lawrence Whistler was born in the early 1950s and grew up in Chicago, Illinois and was fascinated with being a hero as a child. It wasn't until his family moved to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania that he realized exactly what kind of hero he wanted to be. It wasn't a superhero like Superman, Or a TV good guy like Zorro. No, Larry wanted to be another kind of hero. Just before he moved to Pittsburgh, that other type of hero had begun to come to attention in the northeast of America. By the time he got there in 1964, that man was arguably more invincible than Superman. And more popular in that area of the world than any other man. The man who represented the people with foreign heritage all across the land, instantly connected with the Polish Whistler. That man, if you haven't worked out by now, was Bruno Martino. Before embarking on a career inside the squared circle though, Whistler had to get through school where he was a good amateur wrestler. Not to mention taking martial arts classes too. By the time he could drive, Larry worked out the perfect way to get close to Bruno and subsequently get into the business. Stalk him, of course. Of course, being trained by Bruno San Martino was just an absolute blessing. Being brought into the business by someone the stature of Bruno just opened doors that simply would not have been open for him elsewhere. So it was no, no surprise when on September 1st, 1973, Lawrence debuted In an impressive manner. By defeating Frank Durso. In just 70 70 seconds. Using Bruno's finishing move. The infamous. Backbreaker submission. Commonly called the torture rack today. It was no secret. That the new kid in the ring. Was the protege of Bruno. And that meant something to the people. To the boys in the back. Who he had exposure. While hanging around with Bruno. His ring name. Larry Zbyszko, which was used from the very beginning, was to pay homage to legendary Polish wrestler Stan Zbyszko in the early 1900s. For much of his time in the WWWF, Zbyszko competed in mid-car bouts, taking on a variety of opponents. Even with that, he still won the Rookie of the Year award issued by Pro Wrestling Illustrated in 1974. Every now and again, Zabisco would team with an attraction wrestler such as Chief J Strongbow, Gorilla Monsoon, or Haystack's Calhoun. Clearly, he had to be kept strong as the association with Bruno made him an instantaneous fan favorite. Yet, he was still green as green could be and needed experience before going up a notch on the card. Rather than stay in the Northeast and get stale with the public, it was decided to send Zabisco to sunnier lands, namely Los Angeles. Roughly a year was spent where honing his craft was really establishing himself as a solid talent, with Mike LaBelle, the promoter, taking a liking to the young man. In late 1976, he traveled back to the WWF. Upon his return... Larry was right back where he left off, in the mid-card, as a babyface, defeating to fairly well to little-known names or losing to established heels. 1977 saw a slight move forward in his career when he forged an alliance with Tony Guerrilla, and they worked their way through the ranks of the tag team division. Eventually, they captured the WWWF Tag Team Championship from Yukon Lumberjacks, In November of that year, they held on to the titles until March of the next year when they lost them to the Valiant Brothers. There was one major problem for Zabisco at this point, though. Bruno San Martino was no longer the WWF World Heavyweight Champion or in, in active competition, leaving Zabisco with little clout in the political sides of the business, not to mention the infamous disliking between the McMahons and San Martino. With his career seriously floundering with no direction after dropping the belts, really just acting as a glorified jobber to heels coming into the territory, Zabisco had an idea. He called up Bruno and suggested an angle that could propel Zabisco to the very top of the Northeast territory and solidify him as a main eventer. A true big money draw for the rest of his life in that area. San Martino liked the idea. He planned out the entire angle, After several weeks, he got Vince McMahon Sr. to agree to do it. In reality, it wasn't that hard of a decision for Vince Sr. to make as his company was down in business with Bob Backlund as champion and anything involving Bruno would incite immediate lucrative gates. Everything started with Izabesco refusing to do an interview with Bruno who was a commentator by this point in his career. After a couple of weeks of ignoring Bruno, Larry opened up and cut an emotional promo proclaiming his frustration with being left in Bruno's shadow. Being nothing more than Bruno's protege, with the the heartfelt speech, Bruno at first refused. The following week, the two men came together again, and this time Bruno accepted on January 26th, 1980, which was taped January 22nd. This would lead to an exhibition match on February 2nd, 1980 between Bruno and Larry.
7: I just have something to say. and uh, I came out here a couple of weeks ago and I poured my guts out to the fans. I made a, a statement of my own search and my own quest for self-recognition in my business. I made a challenge and a demand of Bruno and uh, I heard Bruno's reply. Bruno refused to Give me the opportunity I asked for. And I hope you people enjoyed my match today because as far as I'm concerned, if I can't have a chance to prove myself as me, this is the last match Larry Zabisco is going to wrestle. I can't exist. I am not going to exist in the business if I have to remain a shadow and a specter. I demanded something out of Bruno and he didn't feel he should do it. I can't make Bruno do it, I can't make anybody do anything, but I can do for me. And I have to know right now, I'm not going to wrestle again. I want Bruno to come out here and I want Bruno to say if he wants to wrestle me to my face or if he doesn't, whatever he wants.
5: Bruno, please. You've heard what Larry Zabisco has said,
2: and everyone waiting for your response to that. It's true that uh, last week or two weeks, whatever it's been, I said that I would never wrestle Larry Zabisco. And I did mean it. However, however, I don't want it to be said that Larry's career may be ruined because of my refusal to go in a ring with him, number one. Number two, we've received so much mail from the fans saying that they want me to wrestle Zabisco. And all the, years, all the years I've been wrestling, the fans have known me never to run away from any opponent. And I surely will not run away from this particular bout, which I really don't have my heart into it. However, there has to be a compromise here. I, the, I will go into the ring with Larry under these conditions. I will go in there to give him the opportunity to prove to the fans that he's a better man than I, if that's what he wants. Okay. For myself, I... I I am not interested to go into that drink and defeat Larry Zabisco. So what I will do is this. I will accommodate the fans. If they do want me to go in there, I will. I will accommodate You can hear the response here. I will please I will please Larry Zabisco into proving what he's been what's been haunting him all this time, which I, I had no knowledge of. However, I will say this, if Larry wants to try and beat me, fine, I will do everything in my power to stop him from beating me. As far as him trying to out-wrestle me, he'll have to be better because I will do everything in my power to, 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 to keep my reputation at stake. But what I will not do, what I will not do is I'm not going to go in that ring and try to defeat Larry Zbysko because I could not find it in my heart to apply a hold on him and say quit or I'll break your arm because I still regard Larry Zabisco. I have the same love for him as I have for one of my brothers. And I do not find it in my heart to go in there and hurt Larry or try to defeat him. However, I will say this, that since Larry wanted this badly, he's gonna have to show the fans and everybody in himself that he is the better man because I will give nothing in there. All right. The
5: match is made, but Larry would like to get your response then
7: all i can say is i cannot ask for anything else that's all i can't wait i'm very happy that's what i wanted we'll see you next week
5: all right so the match made larry Zabesco will face bruno san martino next week ladies and gentlemen what we're about to do now is uh, a bit unusual indeed it is not for those of you who have a weak stomach or not for those of you who have a lot of children around we're going to take you back in time when Bruno Sammartino was meeting Larry Zabisco on television months ago, it was to, be, was to have been a scientific match. Everyone knows the result of that. But that was significant in that it was the beginning of undoubtedly the most bitter feud of all time in pro wrestling. Let's go back now with Bruno Sammartino's commentary. Let's go back and join in progress now the match between Bruno Sammartino and Larry Zabisco. And Bruno, your
1: commentary, please. Well, as you know, as all the fans know, start started out with Zabisco's main main thinking was he, want, he wanted to prove to the fans that he was at least as good as I and perhaps better. And all his comments was that he wanted to have a scientific match to, to prove his point. I agreed, but I did say that I was not going to go in the ring trying to beat Zabisco, but I would merely counter. And if I applied old I was not interested in trying to beat him. And this is what happened. Zabisco uh, uh, did get me some holes. Okay, who we was just slacking up? Let's see what happened because I can not remember which move. there was so much frustration on the part of Zabisco because by now he had tried
5: just about everything and everything had failed, and he was becoming so frustrated because you would release holds and things of that nature. Here we go now, crisscrossing. Bruno Sammartino,
1: the master here and waiting for me, telegraphed him it. We did, and I spotted it because I know the man, and I and I and I made you know, a quick move on him and I caught him with a tremendous hip toss, and this again frustrated him. The whole point was that this was his request, and he kept getting more and more frustrated as I kept out maneuvering him. I released the holes, as I say, because I had said in the beginning that I would do so. lady accused me of purposely trying to embarrass him in front of the fans. Okay, over here now, that was one move and there had been previous ones, too, that had happened. Now he's got pina headlock. Let me see. Okay, he shoots me with one tackle. my
5: shoulder block by Zabisco, trying it from the far side, but you alertly went down. Coming right back, and Bruno Sammartino right there with a the bear
1: hook, and then you released it. But Zabisco, as you can see, is going bananas. And I released it because from that point, all I could do was put pressure trying to beat him. And again, I wasn't trying to do that. So once I reached for the hug and I had him good, I let him go. Because as I said, I was not trying to beat Larry Zabisco.
5: Could you understand his frustration? You yelled at something at you a moment ago. What did he yell?
1: He yelled something to the effect of what's the matter. that eventually I could have escaped that. And I said, maybe you could have. But that's not the point. I wasn't trying. I'm not trying to make you to beat you. And
5: by this time some, I don't know, maybe eight minutes into the match, maybe maybe more, the fans. And I'm sure perhaps you, Bruno, could, could sense uh, uh, the frustration.
1: You could sense the, the uh, uh, this thing building. And this is where it finally oh. did the playoff. It got me in a hammerlock, and as you can see, I felt bad. All I did was merely make a quick move to to get him off of a hammerlock, but he lost his balance, and he went out. I did not throw him out. He went out over here. I'm lifting the ropes, and I'm, sa- I'm saying to him at this point, I'm sorry that happened, and now, you saw what happened. All right, Now
5: Zbysko attacking you. This is not scientific. He is just all over you. Could you believe it?
1: I couldn't believe it. At this point, I could not believe that this was actually happening. I mean, I opened the ropes him and look at this. Now, this, he, he stunned me, hit me, in so impressed with the knee, which, which knocked the wind out of me. He hurt me, and then he drove my head there. And I was really stunned at this point, but this is, that is, that was, this I would have never believed in a million years, that Zabisk would be capable of doing this. Now watch this.
5: And just as you're coming up now, he struck you, and I mean, he just laid you wide open. Did you
1: have any... What was going through your mind right now? At, at this point, I was so bewildered. I felt the blow because my, I felt the hot blood just gushing out of my head. And as you can see, it's beating. But again, it's, it's
5: shooting, shooting again, right
1: out. Gushing out. But now, Bruno, this time, by now, you knew. I did. And here you see, I said, at this time, I said, you did rotten so-and-so. And as I got up, he met me with a tremendous, tremendous blow. And they had it again. And this time, I don't remember anything because that's when the lights really went out. And, and here I was. I was yeah. knocked out. Which, of course, you know, the, the doctor came in and they, uh, the, which, you know, I was very grateful to tried to kill me right away. But how, with, with everything that this man has done now, he comes up, to, to, he's pleading to the public. Look at this. I lost so much blood that I had to get blood transfusion that night. I spent the night in the hospital. And this is the man who is going around saying that I caused this, that I double-coded. I never even asked for it about. This is what he did to me. This is the thanks that this Judas... Showed for me after some six, seven years that I gave, devoted my time, my experience, my knowledge of the game to teach him. But so help me, God, then to so help me to you. I say to all the fans, next time I get Larry Zabisco, I will destroy Zabisco. That is a promise I've made to
4: myself and a promise I'm making to everybody. No one had been this hated since Stan Hansen broke San Martino's neck in the WWWF. There are stories of Zabisco having his car stoned and taxis being tipped over if he were in them. Fans attacking him at arenas with reported incidents of him being stabbed in the buttock and also being hit with a steel pipe. Whenever Zabisco was present, it was chaos. Naturally, San Martino came out of retirement and the angle progressed with the two doing battle all over the territory. Zabisco won every match on the first tour, but always by disqualification when an enraged Bruno would choke him out while he tried to run away. This led to a second go-around in the circuit, this time with Zabisco fleeing from the ring at the end of each match to avoid getting a beating. The only thing that was left to be done was to pit the two men in a steel cage match. With Madison Square Garden and the most most venues in the territory selling out whenever those two met, it was decided that the only venue big enough for San Martino vs. Zabisco was Shea Stadium, for the third ever showdown at Shea, the first happening in nineteen seventy two and the second four years later in seventy six. In the lead up to the big show, Bruno declared if Larry won the match, he would never show his face again. Zabisco announced that it was set in stone that Bruno would lose and he would be crowned the new living legend. Uh, it became a
8: classic in the time when it was unheard of. And, and that had to be the, uh, the match with Bruno, San Martino, in Shea Stadium. Uh, in those days, Madison Square Garden itself was too small. In fact, thousands of people were turned away from a, a place that held forty-four thousand people. So, uh, you know, not only was it uh, became historical because it was like the last of the old school era, but uh, you know, it's still today, uh, outside of the one WrestleMania in the Silver Dome where they drew ninety thousand, but people don't realize they gave thirty thousand tickets away. and had national television. I mean, what we pulled off in Shea Stadium was was and still is remarkable. That That's how good it was.
4: Larry and Bruno drew over 36,000 fans to the stadium. This was more than 10,000 more than the first event held at that location headlined by Bruno versus Pedro Morales and a few thousand more than the second co-headline by Bruno versus Stan Hansen and the Antonio Inoki versus Muhammad Ali fight on closed circuit television. The WWE reported a rather healthy gait over 540,000. Yet, yeah, that was pretty much the end of Zbysko's career in the company. That was, by this time, now known as the World Wrestling Federation. Two major things happened that changed the landscape for Larry. The main thing was the souring of the relationship between him and the McMahons. On advice from Bruno, he held up the company for money. Together, the two played a game where the agents and the bookers and Zabisco ended up receiving 10% of some shows he appeared at. Not only that, but he also demanded 5% of Shea Stadium, which wasn't that unreasonable. It was more that he stated he wanted to beat Bob Backlund for the championship or receive a pay raise. There's no need for a genius to work out that by listening to Bruno, Zabisco had managed to get a few lucrative payoffs but also left himself in a very bad political position. With Bruno back in retirement, and Zabisco now with a black mark against his name in the company, it was soon clear that he would be no longer be getting a push. And many many may say rightfully so. The next thing that really hindered him was if Zabisco had defeated Bruno, which in some opinions would have been the right thing to do, as Bruno was at the end of his career, and Zabisco was his young, powerful student, he could have been so over as either a heel or a face, the WWF had to keep him around. But Bruno prevailed in that last encounter. All would have took was a hearty embrace by the two after the match, and San Martino's good blessing, along with Zabisco saying Bruno doesn't have to leave so Bruno can go back to commentary. Boom! You have an instant super over baby face right there alternate you know, on the alternate side of things, Zabisco wins as a heel. Now you can either have him win the gold and take on all comers so so that people can get behind avenging Bruno's loss, or you can have Bob Backlund avenge his loss and retain his gold after a healthy feud. There were other options. Either way, thanks to Bruno not wanting to put Zabisco over, while he never really pinned him, he still went over him. That just lessened the impact of Zabisco, and thanks to the advice to hold the McMahons up, Zabisco now found himself being asked to put people over and saw the writing on the wall. As a result, he packed his bags and left, leaving behind what should have been a golden ticket, if only it had been all done in a different manner. In a sense, it's kind of similar, the the overall principle and, and situation to the Undertaker streak in Brock Lesnar but done differently now. The National Wrestling Alliance was next for Larry. He tried to live off the claim that he retired Bruno Sammartino and even had success winning the Georgia Championship Wrestling Heavyweight Championship on two occasions. Nothing much was really happening for him there, though. So off to the American Wrestling Association based out of Minneapolis, it was for Larry Z. There, he perfected his heel gimmick, trying to encourage the fans to interact with him. In his book, he actually recalls being one of the first to start the fans chanting "Larry sucks." Zabisco was over as a heel with the fans in the AWA. Early in his career, there were, he was awarded their America's Heavyweight Championship, defending it for the next six months. While he had the gold, he was known for stalling in the matches, not allowing his opponents to get grip on, really playing the cowardly heel to a T. In June of that year, he would drop the belt to the Super Over Sergeant Slaughter. Larry Zbysko vs. Slaughter took place on June 9, 1989. Moving up the card to feud with Nick Bockwinkle, which turned into a bloody affair, will be next for Larry. The pair battle up until April 1986, before they met, though, at Wrestle Rock in 1986, Zabisco would take on boxer Scott Lido in a wrestler versus boxer match and be on the losing end of the encounter. His match against Lido is actually remembered as one of the best mixed style matches in recent memory in professional wrestling. Six days later, Bachwinkle won in a Texas death match, temporarily ending the feud. For the entirety of the angle with Bachwinkle, Zabisco had a ninja sidekick. There were several who played the part during the time, but there was always a ninja in his corner to perform his evil deeds at any time. That quickly went away when the feud with Bockwinkle ended, though. Sebisco was tied over with an ongoing feud with Ledoux and other challengers here and there, going forward until May of 1987, when he was thrust back into into the spotlight, helping a young Kurt Henning defeat Bockwinkle for the championship. A month later he was gone from the territory after being banned for life, quote unquote, following a vicious assault on Bachwinkle during the rematch with Henning. Obviously the WWF door wasn't going to be open for Larry. There were little there were little Obviously the WWF door wasn't going to be open to Larry. They were little literally on fire at this point. Bruno was pretty much completely gone, and they had no reason to hire someone who had once held them up for money back into the company. So it was back to the National Wrestling Alliance. What was left of it and Jim Crockett promotions for Larry. There, he kicked things off with a bang going up against a young, real over babyface Tommy Rich. The two had a good solid feud with Sabisco insulting all the Southern fans. And he was fairly hated. Baby Doll started off at the side of Larry, and she remained with him as, as he won the NWA Western States Heritage Championship from Barry Wyndham. What a title! Really, a title that he never lost or seemingly defended much, if ever, and became defunct, and he later left the promotion a year after. A huge feud with Dusty Rhodes was being set up and it was expected to do big business. Unfortunately for Zabisco, his valet refused to kiss Dusty Rhodes as part of the angle and got herself fired. Zabisco then fell into the abyss of the midcard. He got a new manager in the form of Gary Hart and either teamed with Al Perez or wrestled in pointless singles matches. It was time to move on again. Back to the AWA. This time around, Zabisco had even more success. By February of 1989, he won the vacant AWA World Heavyweight Championship in a battle royal. During what would turn out to be a year-and-three-day-long title reign, Zabesco had memorable matches with Sgt. Slaughter, Wahoo McDaniel, Harley Race, and Nikita Koloff. At the beginning of 1990, he started to feud with Masa Saito, and it led to a huge crowd at the Tokyo Dome in Japan. Saito went over in front of the Japanese audience. 57 days later, and several stiff... Believable matches later, Zabesco regained the championship at Super Clash 4. The AWA was not flourishing though, in fact it was on its last legs and was seriously struggling to survive in the world of wrestling as the WWF slowly took over and the AWA didn't have a rich benefactor like Ted Turner to buy them and keep and keep the product alive. Most of their major stars had long left for the greener pastures and in early 91 the AWA closed its doors. We'll discuss that on the upcoming AWA 101 series. Larry Zbyszko was the AWA's last champion.
0: Robinson quite a customer to face in the ring. I know, is he, Ken? Tell me, tell me if Billy Robinson is quite a customer. You know, I don't know. I don't know that much about Billy Robinson. You know, I have been with the champion. I am I, I have issued challenges to Rick Martell. You know, there are big events going on in the world. Mondale picked a female vice presidential candidate, and I am going in the ring against Billy Robinson in Indianapolis let me tell you something you might think it's a big deal i'm not excited about it at all well now say what you want i want to he say exactly what i want is the, this is united states of america i am professional wrestling living legend i don't care about the trivialities resnick or you people about billy robinson's empire championship 1001 holds. i have 1001 records from coast to coast i have headlines i have coverage i have Magazine, stories, I am number one. And let me tell you something, people of Indianapolis, why I'm so upset here. I was just in your crummy city. I don't like your attitude. I don't like your people's morals. I don't like what you people think, and I don't care. But don't you people ever think that when I walk in that ring, you're going to treat me the way you did last time. I demand respect, and I have earned it. And if it means taking someone like Billy Robinson and shoving them down your throat, that's what these people are going to
4: get. Well, fans, you heard a very, I write Larry's a bit. Wasting no time, he'd already secured a position with the now named World Championship Wrestling, formerly Jim Crockett Promotions, before the bankruptcy was declared. At this point, Larry joined the infamous stable led by Paul Heyman, known as the Dangerous Alliance. This led to success teaming with Arn Anderson to win the WSW World Tag Team Championship and later won the WSW Television Championship. By that time, his famous feud with Bruno was long behind him, and the new era of WSW fans weren't going to be reminded of the success he had had elsewhere on their television.
3: You know, 10 years ago right here in New York, I retired the greatest wrestler of the time, Bruno San Martino. And it's kind of ironic that his own flesh and blood, the reason he stabbed me in the back, is gonna get the same treatment in the same town. You know something, David? Here's your chance, kid. Here's your chance to look death in the face and spit in its eye. Here's your chance to stand on the threshold of your dream, grab reality, look up to the heavens and say, God, I've solved the secrets of life. And you get to stand face to face with the undisputed heavyweight champion of the world. And you get to look eye to eye with the same man who retired your father. And you're going to meet the same fate, and you're going to reside within the same legacy of the San Martino's at the hands of the undisputed heavyweight champion of the By
4: 1994, it was clear that there were not going to be any plans for Larry Z, and to the great detriment of most wrestling fans, he joined the commentary team. Larry would become the color commentator on the first hour of Nitro as well as other WCW programming. As the Monday Night War grew between WCW and the WWF, the World Wrestling Federation had Jerry Lawler on their commentary team. And the fans would chant, Jerry, Jerry. On the other side, on the other channel, the fans found Larry to be beloved. And he garnered the respect a la Jerry Lawler. And on WSW television, they were chanting Larry, Larry. And he'd be following the infamous Living Legend moniker. He wasn't one of the greatest or top five commentators, but he was, I think he was decent in his job. He showed an intelligent side as he was able to communicate differently. He had a different tone. Uh, He showed a level of intensity. At a sense, in pushing over storylines. Not one of the all-time best ever, but I think he was a decent color commentator. His most notable feud at that point was with Scott Hall and the NWO that led to their infamous match at Starrcade for control over WSW Monday Nitro.
3: Next Saturday, Mr. Hall, you and I, we're going to turn back time itself. And I'm going to take you back to Larry Land in a time when men were men and women were proud of it. When wrestlers loved having cauliflowered ears and busted up teeth. It was a sign of dignity. You know those wrestling lessons I used to give you when you started when I rubbed your face in the mat? I want you to remember those. And I want that to to seep in your mind when you see me standing across the ring looking at you eye to eye. Because I remember Scott Hall when he started. I remember how you looked with that big handlebar mustache a curly afro hairdo and cowboy boots. You didn't have a clue who you were, did you? You looked like a cross between Dusty Rose and Link from the Mod Squad. And you still have the psychological insecurities today with that ridiculous oral fixation syndrome of sucking that confounded toothpick. You're a 12-year-old hall walking around the world sucking your thumb psychologically because you still have no idea who you are. Now you slick your hair back, you don't shave, you talk like you came out of the gutter and you walk around like some kind of a limp noodle. Keep in your mind the days we talked about. Remember the Larry Land you once visited when the heavyweight champion of the world, the living legend himself, rubbed your face from pillar to post because I'm going to do it again. And don't you dare make one mistake because I'll capitalize on it. Don't you dare leave one opening for the master of human chess because I will snatch you down.
4: After WSW had closed, he resurfaced in 2005 to mainstream wrestling for NWA Total Nonstop Action Wrestling as the director of authority. But to this very day, we can ask questions of what if Larry Zabisco didn't hold up the McMahons? And what if Larry beat Bruno at Chase Stadium? Would his career have been totally different? Would he even have gone back to WSW? Would he have been a WWF mainstay? and in Jerry Lawler's spot in the commentary booth. So many what-ifs. Many were hoping that Larry would go back to the World Wrestling Federation under Vince McMahon Jr. after WSW had folded, possibly join the commentary team, or be a manager, a mouthpiece, maybe provide a, a creative side backstage to the company. Unfortunately, the last mainstream role on-air personality role we would see for Larry Zabisco would be on TNA Wrestling. But his accomplishments alone make him one of the most remembered professional wrestlers, regardless of beating Bruno or not. Let's go over his accolades. AWA America's Heavyweight Champion. Two-time AWA World Heavyweight Champion. AWA Superstars of Wrestling World Champion. AWA World Six-Man Tag Team Champion. In 1996 Cauliflower Alley Club honoree, a two-time NWA National Heavyweight Champion, NWA Western States Heritage Champion, WCW World Tag Team Champion, and World Television Champion, New England Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame Class of 2010, PWA Match of the Year in 1980 versus Bruno Sammartino in the cage match at the showdown at Shea. That's our match of the week. PWI Most Hidden Wrestler of the Year in 1980. Rookie of the Year in 1974. PWA Tag Team of the Year in 1991 with Arn Anderson. And then WWF Tag Team Champion. The Wrestling Observer Awards. Came in plenty for Larry. A five-star match rating in 1991 with Ric Flair, Barry Windham, and Sid Vicious versus Brian Pillman, Sting, Rick Steiner, and Scott, St- Scott Steiner in the War Games match at Wrestle War on February 24th of 91 that year. A five-star match in 92 with Rick Root, Steve Austin, and Arn Anderson and Bobby Eaton versus Nikita Koloff, Barry Windham, Rick Steamboat, Sting, and Dustin Rhodes. the uh, Another War Games match on May 17th of 92. Best heel in 1980, feud of the year in 1980 versus Bruno, and then most improved wrestler in 1980 as well. The early 80s was a hot spot for the Wrestling Observer and Larry Zbysko and Dave Meltzer's eyes. PWI accolades, Wrestling Observer accolades, championships galore. Larry Z, in a sense, has done it all. Unfortunately, the latter part of his career took a bit of a downward trend due to some of his actions. That he that he he that he played and partook in throughout his career. One of the most underrated promos as well. He had a different tone, a slight version of Nick Bockwinkle. He had a vocabulary. He also can be intense. Wasn't necessarily the best uh, cosmetically looking wrestler, but he could get the job done inside the squared circle. Tonight we discussed quite possibly one of the greatest feuds, and this could be a famous feud in itself in this special between Bruno Sammartino and Larry Zabisco. No one will ever forget the protege attacking his mentor, turning his back on the man that brought him to the business. Instant heel heat. To this very day, Zabisco Sammartino is talked about as one of the greatest feuds ever in professional wrestling, for that alone gives him a spot in the WWE Hall of Fame. Promotional consideration paid for by the following HighSpots.com is an official affiliate of the SNS Radio Network. HighSpots is a leading online retailer for professional wrestling and mixed martial arts, offering action figures, DVDs, apparel. Championship belts, wrestling gear, and even wrestling rings. High Spots is committed to be your one stop shop for all wrestling and mixed martial arts products. Whether you're a wrestling fan, a pro wrestler, or a promoter, you can find what you are looking for at highspots.com. Go to btbcast.com or snsradionetwork.com and click on the High Spots banner and it will take you directly to the High Spots main page where you can purchase everything a wrestling fan could want. By doing so, the SNS Radio Network will receive a kickback which goes directly into improving the network for you fans. So go to highspots.com now and boost your pro wrestling collection. Well, my old school fans, that does it. We relive two of the greatest in professional wrestling, Tatsumi Fujinami and the living legend Larry Zabisco, tonight on Beyond the Bell. Careers that span internationally. No one will ever forget the historic rivalry between Larry Zabisco and Bruno Sammartino. Well, that does it for this special Hall of Fame edition of Beyond the Bell. Don't worry, we will return with more of our inductees as we have two final main eventers to cover. Up next will be the historic career Of the Macho Man Randy Savage. This two-part edition is coming up next on Beyond the Bell. As we remember the historic and memorable Hall of Fame career of the Macho Man. Dig it! Then, post-WrestleMania, we're back with more Hall of Fame content. As we archive Big Sexy, Big Daddy Cool, Kevin Ash, Diesel... On Beyond the Bell, Nash and Savage coming up on our last two Hall of Fame editions. So until next time, remember, stay old school, my friends.